All right. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the LeedsCon podcast. I'm Ian McRae, and I lead editorial efforts uh, here, including putting together the agenda and the speaking faculty for LeedsCon. Uh, but we're going to jump right into the discussion today. Just two quick notes for our community. If you haven't already, make sure that you register for LeedsCon. Registration is open just for another couple of weeks, uh, March 13th through the 15th at the MGM Grand. Uh, this is one that you're not going to want to miss. Uh, and one more item to add, uh, we have the February LeedsCon Industry Roundup hitting inboxes early next week. So make sure that you add us to your contact list or your dress book uh, so you don't miss this monthly recap of all things lead gen and growth marketing. But today, we're thrilled to be joined by one of uh, the many industry experts uh, who you're going to get to hear from in March. Uh, this one is particularly special. He's our opening kickoff keynote taking place on Monday afternoon. Uh, at LeedsCon, so mark your calendars. Uh, Philip Stutz comes from the cutthroat world of political marketing. He has over two decades of experience working on campaigns with billions of dollars in political ad spend and contributed uh, to over 1,500 election victories, including three U.S. presidential victories. Philip plays the game of political and corporate marketing on the highest level, battling it out with fierce competition, multi-billion dollar budgets, and a win or die mentality. He's also the CEO of Win Big Media. Welcome, Philip. Thanks uh, for joining us today. Oh, man. Pumped. I'm excited to see everybody in, uh, in Vegas. Let's roll. Absolutely. Let's get into it. Uh, among your best-selling titles, uh, your most recent book, The Undefeated Marketing System, How to Grow Your Business and Build Your Audience Using the Secret Formula that Elects Presidents, uh, which details an approach to convert customers in half the time, minimizing risk, and really driving growth and revenue. Uh, what do you think today's cus uh, consumer and corporate marketers can take away from their counterparts in the political arena? Yeah. Um, and do you, um, you ever see those... Uh negative political ads during election season yeah i have a couple of questions about those later yeah do, do you uh do you like them not particularly yeah <laughs> uh why do you think we do them in political marketing world i think probably because unfortunately it works uh Oof, you just, that's it that's it you don't need to say anything else that's the answer it works so in politics, you know, I was just in an interview and and they were asking about this and they're like, but, but I see these ads and I like this candidate and I don't like this ad. And I go, but you're going to vote for the candidate anyway. And the only thing that matters is that we get 50.1% of the market to support us. 49.9% yeah. could hate us or hate the candidate we're helping market. 49.9% yeah. yeah. hate us. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. Pitchfork, pitchforks and torches running at us like i that's what i'm saying like it is so we know that we we have to be massively efficient money ball efficient with every dollar with every word that's uttered because if we get just below 50.1 our candidate never wins. And if the candidate doesn't win nine out of 10 times, they go away forever. So that is not going to be someone that ever works for you again. Meaning as a business owner, I'm not making any money anymore. That candidate wins for 
I don't know, state legislature, they could run for lieutenant governor and then yeah. attorney general and then governor and then senator and then president. And all of a sudden I have a client for 25 years. And so my point is, is that we go in to any political campaign being completely obsessed with the voters that we know if they support certain issues will vote either for an unknown an unsavory candidate doesn't matter they're like that's my issue we need to know who those voters are we need to know why they care about that issue and then we've got to deliver marketing messages constantly on those issues so that we can win the election and so what i did was as i did this over you know and now it's a 27 year career but what i did was i said oh wow this would be really interesting if business owners took not the same approach but the same principle behind how we market political campaigns and added it into their businesses, it would give them an almost an unfair advantage. And so what we've done is yes, we don't run negative ads that whack people over the head with a baseball bat. No, we don't do that, but we do find out the key uh, messages, the key things about the business, the product or the service that people sell from the customer or the client, we obsess over data, trying to figure out what moves that client or that customer. And then we build marketing campaigns over the things that we know they care about the most. And when that happens and we run these marketing campaigns like an efficient money ball experience, when I say money ball, I mean this, um, you know, if we, we had a, a, a client recently, it was spending massive amounts of money on a social media platform. They had no idea why, because they, they had just hired a Facebook uh, marketing agency and the Facebook marketing agency told them you should spend 85% of your dollars on Facebook. Um, and when we looked on, we looked them up and we, we, uh, we looked into their customer base and we went through our data and analytics process with them, which I will talk about more extensively on stage of how that exactly works. But my point is, when we looked at it, we found out that Facebook was the number four performing social media platform for that company. They were spending 85% of their dollars on the number four performing social media platform amongst their customers, their website visitors that weren't purchasing, because we can track that. And I'll explain on stage how we do that. And then, you know, we always build out modeled audiences or lookalikes or whatever, just to understand what the broader market thinks. The number one, there was a different social media platform that all of their customers uh, were, the majority of their customers are going to, and they never advertised on that platform before. Hmm. And so the point is, is that if you've got a finite amount of money, let's just say it's a hundred thousand dollar marketing budget, are you going to spend eighty five thousand dollars on on one of the worst performing social media platforms because you have a marketing agency that says you should spend it because that's what we sell, yeah. or do you find out from the customer or the client where their eyeballs are going, what messages are moving them, and then you know take your marketing message, your marketing dollars and extract it into those places. And the reason you do that is because in politics, there's no margin of error for us. And so we have to be innovative every single day. We have to be uh, constantly changing and adapting and moving and pivoting. What are the voters doing? What do they care about? How do we stay on top of this? 
And if you apply that into the marketing world of business like we have, because we work with Fortune 200 companies now, we work with NASCAR, we work with a lot of different companies. When you do that, you have exponential results and it eliminates the risk of the business owner that's marketing because they're putting their dollars where they're where their customers are going because we've seen in the data that's where their customers are going it's such like yeah. an elementary approach but 99% of marketers out there don't do it they yeah. just go yeah. well you got a let you have an awesome brand let let's spend some money and it's like but what if the customer or the client doesn't care about what you think is awesome yeah, yeah. You're talking about meeting the customer or the client or uh, in a lot of times your case, uh, the voter where they want to be met uh, right. and, and and approaching them and taking particular uh, uh, note of uh, those nuances in co uh, consumer behavior, that individual's behavior. Um, with that said, it's a, it's a, it's an extremely polarized environment in Washington right now, mm -hmm. uh, and that's reflective of our country certainly in 2020. I, I hadn't noticed. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> but do you think that makes it harder, uh, Philip, than ever to try to kind of figure out what is making people tick right now? Yeah. Are marketers really challenged in terms of it, it, it? Does it become a lot harder to predict uh, consumer behavior uh, when and configuring your marketing messaging strategy uh, when really everybody's all over the map in different directions, perhaps more than ever right now? No. Okay. And it's a good question. I get the premise, but if you are like, I'm able because of the data we, we work with, right? I have a partnership with the largest data collection analytics and AI company in America. In my database, I have 240 million American consumers, uh, uh, 500 million connected devices. We track 10 billion online purchasing day, uh, purchasing decisions daily and a trillion searches daily because of that. And I think on average of the 240 million American consumers, we have about, or on average, about 10,000 data points, every, uh, data points on, on the, on the 240 million Americans. Sometimes we have more, sometimes we have less. But 240 million American consumers that we have 10,000 data points on. Now, I can tell you, do they have kids in the household, how old they are, uh, why they purchase, what their purchasing behavior is going, what's going on with their purchasing behavior. You know what? We, and you're right, by the way, Ian, that the messages have changed a lot quicker since the pandemic. So mm -hmm. we went from safety, safety, safety messages to, oh, man. Everybody's got this free money from the government. So now like vacations and status and significance to, uh, you know, to, oh, now it's like wants versus needs. People are buying for what they need, not what they want. So there, there has been a constant influx in that change, but we're able to track that and see what it is and then pivot our clients to make sure they stay on top of where their customer or their client is. So they deliver to them um, and make sure that they continue on buying from that, that particular company. Absolutely. I think it's, it sounds like, you know, certainly, um, and can, can you talk a little bit about to the roots of uh, data in political marketing? Uh, you know, I always look at the insurance industry, you know, which is a big component of LeedsCon and the mortgage industry, again, an, another uh, uh, big uh, base for LeedsCon. Uh, these are typically have been sophisticated verticals uh, in terms of how they're using that data. Um but mm -hmm. I, I think it pales probably in comparison uh, to what Paul, uh, the what's been happening with more uh, data on the political landscape um, 
from from decades ago. Uh, they're they're probably following uh, uh, those practices. But can you talk a little bit about uh, the use of political data and how that's evolved uh, over uh, uh, your time in this uh, uh, in the political environment? Yeah, and I, I I literally write all about this in the in my book, The Undefeated Marketing System, of how it evolved um, from basically about two thousand four. In two thousand four, I was working uh, on George W. Bush's reelection campaign, and they came. Um, our uh, strategy team came to us. I, I was leading the whole get out the vote effort for all states for the campaign, and they said, "Hey, we want to introduce. Uh, we want to." take credit card data of voters so that we can divide have better messages to those voters uh what you know if they subscribe to hunting magazines versus um you know uh, uh shopping magazines like that that's two different types of uh of messages to two different types of voters that you want to vote mm -hmm. for the single candidate right and so at the time we called it micro targeting and it had never been done before and i was pretty skeptical because at the time all we had really done was just market one, you know a few messages to the masses and instead we started micro targeting to very niche groups and our message, right? Micro-targeting these niche groups with very specific messages because we knew they cared about a specific issue based on the credit cards they uh, are the things they bought on credit cards from cars to magazines to things like that, right? Yeah. And um, George Bush, George W. Bush won re-election um, in, you know, basically it came down to the state of Ohio in 2004. He won the state yeah. by about 120,000 votes, which means that if 60,000 people that voted for Bush had switched and voted for Kerry, Kerry would have been president. 60,000 votes. You know, I don't know how many people voted. I think it was like 120 million at the time. Right. That's yeah. that's I thought that was the craziest until, you know, this past election, we had 155, 58 million. And it came down to 40. The people don't realize this. Hold on. I'm going to get on a tangent. The tr Donald Trump lost. The election by 42,000, something like 318 votes in a combined three states of Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin had 21,000 voters in, in Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin had just at the last second gone, you know what, I was going to vote for Biden, I'm going to vote for Trump. Trump would be president right now. Out of 158 million votes, 40 to 21,000 switches on election day would have swung the election that that's crazy to me right and yeah. so my point is is that um we we learned that lesson back in 2004 and then it's just put on the steroids and you know i i make the point in the book that um corporate marketers were much more sophisticated than political marketers but 2004 was a was a huge like uh, moment in the world where political marketers became at that point they started the flip happened and then you know basically when obama came it was like the, a much more sophisticated group of people came in and is run political campaigns are run like money ball organizations the money is efficient the message is efficient it's going to the right very strategic and targeted and political marketers are by far the most innovative marketers in the world right now. It's not even close. People just don't know about it. And I write about the story all in my book, but the point is, is that if you want an advantage in this, in this weird economic moment, you got to do things that are a little different. 
and there's yeah. this there is this method that I've you know written a book about. Uh, I call it the undefeated marketing system. That if you apply it, you will grow your business and your marketing. And that's rooted in how we had to win presidential races, how we've yeah. had to win U.S. Senate races and governors races and things like that in a in a in an environment where either you win or you die, you're out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, hey, this quarter we want to grow by 3.7%. It's like, no, you either win or you're gone. Like, yeah. that's it. Those are the stakes. And that's the way that we approach marketing for businesses. And that's the way I think businesses should be looking at it. Absolutely. That's that win or die mentality that you're uh, referred to. And that's, yeah, that, that makes uh, uh, total sense. Uh, Political advertising, and you touched on this before, has taken a lot of heat over the past couple of decades with critics saying that campaign ads uh, are escalating the divide in our country with negative mm. attack ads or misleading advertisements. Uh, uh, are, are politicians uh, going on the offensive more heavily uh, than they have in years past? Because, as you said, uh, or as is proven, that these that those ads work? No. Okay. We have just as many negative ads now as we not when I say many aggregate yeah. it right mm -hmm. in 1968 there was a an ad where a nuclear bomb went off and it said if you don't vote for this candidate you're going to die from a nuclear bomb and I think that was LBJ and so my uh, my point is um, that maybe it wasn't LBJ I can't remember but I think LBA, LBJ did it was called the Daisy ad you can go YouTube it yeah but my point is is that this has always been around the problem now is that we just have a thousand media channels back then you had you know your three stations on TV that's it you know and a little radio now you got the radio got the <laughs> you got the TV you got the streaming you got social media you got everything it's non-stop and mm -hmm. uh and then everybody's arguing over it all right yeah. so it's just a lot it's amplified it's not any yeah. different than what's done in the past yeah that's that's right uh that's uh i i that uh, uh that daisy ed is a, is a great example i remember that not not live but uh from from case studies years ago <laughs> uh now you wear a lot of hats uh you're a husband a father an author uh, a corporate marketer, a political campaign super weapon. Uh, but what is your proudest professional accomplishment in terms of campaign work? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, on the election night 2004, we won re-election for Bush's presidency. But also um, that night, uh, a guy named John Thune, who's now a senator in, in South Dakota, he won the U.S. Senate race against Tom Daschle. He was the Senate majority leader. I had worked for John Thune's 2002 Senate race that he lost by like 319 votes out of like 324,000 or something like that. And uh, in 2003, I had worked, I had run a governor's race for a guy named bobby jindal in, in um louisiana who barely lost and in 2004 he won yeah. um a seat to congress so on election night everybody i had ever worked for was now in office and or all the big campaigns i'd ever worked on uh up to that point other than the original 2000 bush campaign and a couple others but my point is is that 
election night 2004 all like three years of sacrifice everybody got into office and that was one of the cooler moments that because look i i've been a an ad guy a uh you know a campaign strategist or you know where they hire you and you're the you know you're sort of the uh general strategist of the campaign all that stuff but yeah. there's something about working directly on a campaign i lived in south dakota yeah. for a year i lived in louisiana for a year working for thune and jindal and and then i moved to dc to work on the re-election for bush and then for you know and spending every day with those candidates for a year um and then to see them become elected bobby jindal eventually ran for governor became the governor of louisiana briefly ran for president in 2016 didn't make it very far but john thune is still in the u.s senate and uh that was a that was a cool moment Absolutely. It's kind of like it, uh, they, they talk about the Grand Slam uh, in golf and in tennis. Uh, but when all of your people are in office uh, yeah. for all the major campaigns you're working on, that's a bit of a political Grand Slam. Uh, that's great. What uh, That truly is a wonderful accomplishment. Uh, so what is uh, you're going to be doing a book signing uh, yeah. after your, uh, after the keynote? We're really excited about that. Um, is there is there one particular thing uh, that you're looking forward to at LeedsCon? I'm excited to hear other speakers speak. I'm excited to understand the community better. Um, I, all I've heard from you since like September is how amazing this community is. And so this I'm super pumped to be there. I, um, as, as you just said, I bought 100 copies of my book to give away. So after my speech, we're going to run out to the back of the hall and do a book signing free you can show up and get a free signed book if you want to hear the first hundred people. So I'm super excited for that. But um, man, uh, you know, we actually, I don't even know if you know this, we tried to get uh, you guys, we all tried to make this work in 2021. Um, but I like, it was last minute. I just couldn't pull it off. Cause I think y'all were in, we all in Vegas too. And it was in October. Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah yep. absolutely. Yeah. And yep. uh, I was actually in Colorado, but I could not, commit to it because of something else and so anyway uh i feel like this is a uh, uh, 18 months in the making i'm excited to be there and meet everybody and uh, i'm really honored it's it's really an honor i'm gonna I'm, i can promise you this you will not walk away from this speech and and not feel like i brought the fire no, absolutely no we we know you will well thank you uh once again philip i want to express our gratitude uh for taking the time uh to join us today i uh, can't wait to hear more from you in uh, uh, less than a few weeks uh but until the next episode uh from the LeedsCon team enjoy your day thank you take care